Good to see you guys brave the chilly weather and come out here. Because yesterday it was, what, 85? I was like, come on, man. Anyways, the only thing that's messed up is our sinuses, and that's no big deal. You can deal with that. All right, just plug it up and move ahead. So I got this new killer headgear thing going on here. This is kind of cool, you know. Thomas, he doesn't want me to touch it, but I'm going to play with it anyways. But uh, the last guy that used it broke it. And so if we can keep it in one place, then we'll be all right. We'll keep it in one piece, I mean. Well, how are you guys doing? Praise God. Well, we're going to look at one of my most favorite stories in the Bible period. I, I enjoy the, the wise men coming. It's in Matthew chapter 2. Make your way over there. It's, it's, um, it's a fascinating story, and it's one that just it blows my mind because I'm so, I don't know, I'm in awe of how, what God did here. This is an amazing thing. There's just the way that, that something like this would take place and would happen is just amazes me. It's just something that's almost impossible to happen. And, it, and so there's this fascinating thing that's going on here on the overall, and then it's kind of comical and when they come in and, and that sort of thing. And we kind of, you know, how Christmas cards or even how... I think the wise men are depicted even on, on the floor right there. You know, that's not exactly how things went, but that's okay. It's cool. They need to be there. You know, we have to have them in the nativity. That's part of the whole thing. And so it's just this wonderful thing. And then um, they, the, the praise and the glory and the joy that they just experience from this whole thing because their quest is fulfilled, then it's fabulous. It's, it's just wonderful that they, that they actually have, you know, their, their quest in, in the, the finality of it is just this awesome place that they get to worship. And then the horror that, that happens as they leave the area and, and Herod does the most horrific thing that places him in well, that place of the worst, one of the worst world leaders there is. It's just, it's just horrible. And so it's just a fascinating story. And so we're going to look at that somewhat and then some other stuff. And, you know, and so let's pray. Father, we just want to glorify you and honor you tonight, Lord. We praise you, Lord, for this time that we can just sit at your feet. We pray that that you'll empty us of ourselves right now, Father. And the stuff that we've got that's plaguing us or in the back of our heads or in the forefront, Father, problems and issues and things like that, Father, you want us to pay attention to you right now, and, and as we have been able to just worship you and draw closer and closer to you, we know that you're here, we can feel your presence. And so, Father, in that sweet time of worship, we can just now just continue on as you teach us your word. And so, Father, have your way with us tonight, Father. Open up your word and teach us and move by your spirit as you already have here and teach us and that you be glorified in all that goes on here tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so in Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1, it said, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, 
he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Jesus was born probably between 6 and 4 B.C., approximately 5 B.C., um, somewhere in there. Um, we use the Julian calendar. The Julian calendar was developed by Julius Caesar. And uh, it has been adjusted a few times. Some popes and some different people, you know, changed things around so that, you know, the, you know we would then kind of start with Christ as to, you know, starting our calendars and that kind of stuff and everything. But some guys kind of figured out that, that uh, he was probably, because of the different adjustments and stuff, according to our calendar, he was probably born around 5 B.C., or something like that. And Herod the Great was the king at the time. He came from a political family. His father was, uh, his grandfather was governor of Idumea, and then uh, his father was a procurator of Judea, and he was appointed by Julius Caesar himself. And then um, Herod was appointed tetrarch of Galilee in around 37 BC or something like that. He's the one that built the big temple. He's the one that brought all the splendor to Jerusalem. It's just amazing all the things that he's done and everything. Um, he, uh, he, it was just, and then he passed away uh, in March of around 4 BC. And so right after this, all this stuff went down, he died. And so the... Um, and then um, um, the Magi, or the wise men, and it's M-A-G-O-I, which is in the Greek, but it's a Persian word for, for um, men that are experts in the study of the stars. So astrologers or astronomers or whatever they were, and, and that sort of thing. And Pastor Z covered all this stuff when he went through um, uh, Matthew chapter 2 back in, what was it, 2013, I think. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it, but he covered a lot of this stuff already, so this is kind of review. But anyways, um, he, uh, anyway, so, um, but as for the whether there was like three of them or whether there was, you know, they were kings or any of that kind of stuff, you know, uh, these guys had seen the star and they had come to worship the king of the Jews. Now, why they would do that or, or what's the deal with that and such, the word is not real you know, open about, you know, the star and the different things that's going on here. Um, you could, we can turn over to uh, Numbers uh, 24 and kind of, and we can, these are just the references that they're giving us as to, you know, where the star was coming from and that sort of thing. <clears throat> so in Numbers uh, 24, looking at verse 17, it says that, uh, and I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tolmut. And so there, and then there's Jeremiah 23, uh, which is another one that they gave us as a reference here. And uh, that's in verse 5. And he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to, uh, to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is the name by which he will be called the Lord of our righteousness. And so there's, there's those two scriptures. And then there's Zechariah 9, 9 which um, is one that um, is really for later on in, uh, in Jesus' ministry. 
um, but um, one that we can still look at. Rejoice, O greatly, uh, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Lord of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, and he is just in having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey. And then, of course, Micah 5, 2, which we will look at here in just a few moments. And so um, when, when this, these are the scriptures that they were given. Now, you know, to me, obviously the Holy Spirit had his hand all over this thing. And what he did in some manner, in some way, was to reveal to these men that, that the uh, Messiah had been born and how they come to believe or to know this or whatever. These scriptures that we've looked at are pretty sketchy. And so can someone build this whole thing and say, hey, there's a star, you know, and stuff. So maybe the heavenly host, after they got done with the shepherds, jammed over there and did a little concert for those guys over there too so that they could like, oh, wow, you know, we got to take off. And so who knows what kind of stuff was going on there. But the thing that cracks me up is, is that we all have the the uh the christmas card you know and there's the little stable you know over there and it's quiet and it's dark and the star is over it and they're the three guys and they're on their camels and they're going over the hill and it's all peaceful and there's just the three of them and they got their little treasure they're holding as they're heading towards the awesome thing it must have been crazy when these guys came into jerusalem they must have known they were coming for a month they had a whole army with them. The stuff that they were carrying, stuff that you just can't throw on your backpack and take off, you know, and, and just the, the whole nature of the thing was, who knows how many there were, but it was a caravan. And when they came into town, they had to be expecting a party. They had to be thinking, wow, their Messiah came. God come in the flesh. Let's go and worship him with everybody. And so they come into town and they're like going, we come to worship the king of the Jews. Where is he? Well, they didn't go to see Herod because that isn't even a consideration for these guys. And he isn't going to do anything. He's a mean guy. This guy was really mean. I mean, he, he just killed people right and left, you know. I mean, if any inkling, and we're going to know about this in a little bit, but any inkling that someone was going to do something with his kingdom, he took them out, you know. And so these guys come in looking for the king of the Jews. They're not even interested in seeing him. And so this huge group comes in. They want to see him. And where would they go? They would go to the temple. They would go to the priests. They would go to the scribes and say, what's going on? Where, where, where is it? And, and so God takes these Gentile guys, makes this big caravan and say, wait, you got, and, and these guys are like going, what? Who? I don't know. You know? And it's like, Really? You guys don't know this? You didn't see the star? You didn't, you, it says in the Word, didn't you guys like get this? Didn't you? And nobody there even knows nothing about it. And so Herod, he's like, you know, what's going on here? And it says that, that Herod was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Pastor Chuck always had a favorite quote from, of someone about him. It said, it's better to be Herod's pig than his son. Because uh, he killed his kids, he killed his wives, anybody that he even had an inkling that they might want to take his place got taken out. And uh, so he was a horrible person, and, and you know, in that way. And so, but he didn't even try to touch these guys. And so, obviously, the, her- the caravan was big enough to be noticed, 
and these guys were asking questions and so it was just it's just a really interesting thing here that as these guys come in and the way this all kind of lays out and that sort of thing but they're there they've come into town and they're asking about the messiah and so in verse four he says and then when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together he inquired of them where the christ was to be born and so they said to him in bethlehem of judea for thus it is written by the prophet but you bethlehem in the land of judah are not the least among the rulers of judah for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people israel then herod when he had secretly called the wise men determined from them what time the star appeared and he sent them uh, to bethlehem and said go and search carefully for the young child and when we and you have found him, bring him back, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. So he crawls together the priests and the scribes and, and such, and so he goes, so where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And uh, they know. It says in Bethlehem in Judea. Now, in Micah 5, 2, it says, it's an interesting, the way that, that it's, it's worded here, and this is what they, they wrote, this is what they read to him. They said, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judea, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. And they telling him that God has come in the flesh and he is in Bethlehem. And so he sets up a meeting with the wise men to come in and talk with them. And he finds out when the star first appeared so he knows the time frame he knows when he came and he knows where he came and everything he knows the whole bit so he knows when the messiah come and everything what would have happened if he'd have went with him what would have happened if he'd have just said you know what i want to go worship him too what would have happened if he'd have just went down there with them, maybe some of the Pharisees did go with him. Who knows? Maybe when they, they found out and these other guys go, we saw the star, really? And they, you know, not everybody was like mean and stuff and bad. Maybe some of these guys learned, figured something out and said, yeah, I want to go. Maybe some of those guys went, maybe Nicodemus or some of those dudes. Or at least then when Jesus started his ministry, they say, hey, you remember that? You remember that guys come into town and all that and the star and the whole bit and all that stuff they're talking about and the kid and the whole bit and Herod freaked out and stuff. You remember all that? You think that this kid was this guy now, you know? I mean, the whole thing. He told Jerusalem that God had come in the flesh and God did it on purpose. He it was pointed. He did it on purpose so that they would know that of the time that he came amazing story and he's told them and they read to him that it was the messiah god come in the flesh and so they came and so it it just interests me that suppose he would have just went with them think of all the what would have happened if he'd have got saved amazing what would have happened with that and how things would have changed but we know the end of the story. And so, so he wants to come. They, he told them to come back, you know, and tell him. And then he'll go and worship him also. And so 
when they had heard that the king, when they, they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till they came and stood over where the young child was. And when he saw the star, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when he had come in, when they came into the house and they saw the young child with Mary his mother, fell down and worshipped him. And when he had opened their, they had opened their treasures, they presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So after Herod, they went out and they headed out, and and the star guided them physically guided them that's what the word says it took them to jerusalem or to bethlehem so it guided them there so you're talking about a killer supernatural thing going on here and it's pretty cool because god has got his hand all over this stuff and 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 there's all these guys that try to figure out all oh, the planets are lined up and there was the christmas star and all that and it was just like all perfect and you know, there's a clear sky and there's no moon and all that stuff and everything it's like he says the star took them there. And, and they were all happy because the star took them there. The star, yeah, so it's like, ah, you know. Anyways, it keeps them busy. But um, so, so the, the, the star took them to the house. And when they saw the star, they just had this exceeding joy, you know, and, and such. And so and then they, they were filled with joy and they entered the house and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And, um, and they got to present to him and we're going to hold with the, with the song, you know, we three kings and, you know, and that. Um, the gold for a king, frankincense, which is incense, which is used in praise to God, which would show his deity. And then myrrh, which is an embalming spice, which would point to his death. And so that one wonderful stanza that's in there, we will look at that where it says, glorious now, behold him arise, king and God and sacrifice. Alleluia, alleluia, earth to heaven replies. And so a wonderful song, John Henry Hopkins Jr. from 1857. Wonderful song, a wonderful song. And uh, just, just how it points to the one that, that when he was to come and, and how these guys had worshipped him and, and that sort of thing. In Luke chapter 2, verses 25, 25 through 38, there's, there's a story in there about a guy named Simeon who... He, God told him that he was going to get to see the Messiah before he, he passed away. And so he got to be the one that got to uh, pray and bless the baby when they brought him in. Can you imagine what that must have been like for him? And then Anna, another lady who had, had just spent all of her time in prayer and fasting inside the temple and as she was there, and she knew that then that the Messiah had come, and, and so she was just telling everybody what was going on and stuff. And so these there was people there that had been waiting for this and got to see it and how glorious it was. And then these guys a few months later come into town and it's like crazy, you know, and, and just everything that was going on there. And, and it was just insane and just wonderful. And then they were warned in a dream that they needed to depart and go another way. Can you imagine Joseph sitting on his front porch, kicking back, and he sees this dust cloud coming down the road, and he's like, what is that? You know, pretty soon this whole group comes in, horses and camels and all these dudes and all this stuff, and they stop, 
you know, they get out and man, they're just like going in and just on the ground. You'd be like, man, this is crazy. Well, he's warned too of coming tragedy. And so the wise men go one way. And then, of course, Joseph, he moves his family to Egypt and gets out of the area. Herod, when he finds out that these guys went another way home, he was extremely upset. And so he had all the children killed that was two years and under in the area. Now, how many children that is or how vast the area was, I'm not sure. You know, just around there, was it in all around that whole, it, it's, it's hard to say. But uh, a horrible, horrible thing to happen here. And then, of course, once Herod, um, you know, he passed away, God brought the uh, family back to Israel, um, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, and then they wound up settling in Nazareth, which is in Galilee. And so this tragedy is associated then with the coming Messiah. And so it's hard to grasp this sort of thing. It's hard to understand this. This is where we kind of, you know, we get warned about things like this, but it's hard for us to, to try to get our mind wrapped around the fact that tr- when it comes to our relationship with God, tragedy does follow. And sometimes it's just horrific, like in something like this. It's like, and, and so we have to kind of gain some kind of an understanding here a little bit and kind of understand that the, you know, there's, there's you know, people that die when they receive Christ. There's people that lose their jobs. There's people that, that you know, and, and there's just things that happen that, and tragedies that's associated with knowing him. And then there's other tragedies that goes on in life that, that we just have to deal with. And so um, this, is, this is, you know, a tough, tough thing. But um, we have to kind of understand that there is a world system out here and uh, that it's antichrist. Now, for myself, whenever I kind of think about the world and the, wor- and the Word tells us about the world and it tells us about, you know... Um, you know how the we have to uh um <clears throat> you know how we kind of deal with life and that sort of thing the uh <clears throat> i always kind of think about how you know i people just kind of have their own free will they can do stuff or not do stuff they can kind of kind of go along and and uh you know that's kind of how you know, it works, you know, you can believe in God or not, and God intervenes or does things and that, and, and it's all kind of cool, but it's not really necessarily that way. Um, in First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, John is very pointed, and he says, don't love this world or the things of this world, and he goes on to really bring that home. And the word that's used there is cosmos, cosmos. And uh, it's an interesting word because Schofield has a huge um, uh, translation for it, as does Thayer's Greek lexicon. And we'll look at what Thayer says about this. And it refers, that word refers to worldly affairs. The aggregate of things earthly, the whole circle of earth by goods, endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures, which although hollow, frail, and fleeting, they stir desire and seduce from God are obstacles to the case of Christ. This world system is created, organized, set into motion, maintains with one objective, 
to keep men from God. That's what the world is for. That's why we see things the way we do. And so when we read in the Word that there's this huge spiritual battle going on, we begin to understand that the world is formed. It's set in place. It struck me one day when, when I was looking at this that, that uh, when, when Satan took Jesus up to the top of the temple and put Him up there and said, you know, showed Him all of the world, the, the cities and everything, and He said, this is all yours if you bow down and worship Him. And I always thought, He's trying to give Him something that isn't His. No, it was His because it was created by Him. Because he's saying, you're the creator of the world. Look what I created. I created a world too. Look at it. Look at it. And, it. and you can have it. It's yours. No, there is a organized, you know, pointed, you know, thing here. A world set up and set in motion to keep people from God. We have to keep that perspective. We have to understand that this is real. And that everything isn't all chaotic and stuff. No, God moves and He uses this even to bring people to Christ. But at the same time, it's set up and organized by Satan to take people out or to make you ineffective so others don't know Him. And that's what He does. That's His job. And that's His world that He has created around us. And so if we can get that sort of thing into our head and begin to understand, then, because in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, he says, this is not of the Father. This world is not of the Father. It is of Satan. He's the one that sets this up. So, all of this thing here, though, didn't stop these guys from coming to seek the Messiah. God moves within this corrupt world system pointedly to bring people to Him. And so by grace and by mercy and His awesome power and everything else, He has overcome and He brings people to Him. And it's not like, that, you know, you're here because He has touched you and moved in your life and brought you here so that you can know and, and have that relationship with Him. And so... Um, he has overcome the world. And so, <clears throat> John chapter 6, verse 29 says, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him who He sent. The term belief means to have faith, directed unto, uh, unto believing or in faith to give oneself up to. And this was the position that the wise men had. They, they had this, when they started out, they believed and they gave themselves over fully to this. This was quite a pilgrimage, I'm sure. And it was quite a distance for them to do this. And so they came in order to worship. And, and, and so they, this was, they gave themselves up in faith. They gave themselves um, up to Him. And so in Romans 3.30 it says, There is only one God and He makes people right with Himself only by faith. Whether... 
They are Jews or Gentiles. And so, you know, um, we can kind of begin to understand and see that our belief is, uh, faith is our belief in action. And so as we begin to grow and, and to put things, you know, together and that sort of thing, we begin to grow in our belief and strengthen and, and such. But we haven't really, it's not really the, the pilgrimage that the wise men did is not what brought them to Christ. They had it before they started. Your walk, is it, it grows. He sets up the good works for you to walk in. He's the one that puts one foot in front of the other for you. He, it's your belief and it's your faith in Him as you begin to move and to walk and to grow. That is the thing in the, in the way that he, he builds upon this. That is what um, keeps us close to Him. That's where we get saved is in our belief and our faith. And then in Romans 4.3, it says, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And that's where it's at. Our faith and our belief. Receive him as Lord and Savior. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth that Jesus died and rose and you shall be saved. That's what the Word tells us. And so... And it comes right down to it then. Do we really give ourselves over to Jesus in faith? God demonstrates His own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a done deal. It's set in stone. It's already there. He has done all that. And so now, where are we at? Are we giving ourselves up to Him? Are we really in that place of, to walk with Him in faith? And this is the place now that, that, that He has us. But, unfortunately, those kids still died. Why would He allow that to happen? Why wasn't there some killer cosmic thing to happen to stop that? Why would He do that? Why would He allow all those kids to die? What about the faith of all those who lost kids? Do some of those people did they what happened there? Why would that why would that why would that happen? How could he do that? Does God was he not listening or did he look away or did he not care? What happened there? How come that that would happen? I want to look at um, Romans chapter eight, and I'm not gonna don't worry I'm not gonna read the whole thing. <laughs> you know, let's see people start to get up and leave. It's okay, sit down. Um, uh, we're going to I'm just going to talk about it and I'm going to read the last portion of it which is glorious but as we begin to look at this we're going to try to understand a little bit a tiny tiny bit here of God's heart and try to get a little bit of a glimmer because I think that's what he does I think he gives us some understanding as to who as to how he thinks and how he feels and that sort of thing and this is, this is why when we see, again, when we read in the Word and it says those that don't know Him, they're like they're dead and, and, and such. And, and, and if sin has covered over and, and people don't receive Him and, and that sort of thing, then they can't know Him and, and that sort of thing. This is where we can kind of gain an understanding here because God really does set Himself up uh, to reveal Himself to us and maybe more so than we actually receive or recognize or give Him credit to do. And so, um, so we have to pay attention here. 
um, to this. But in, in starting in Romans chapter and verse chapter eight, there he says, "There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, because the power of the Spirit has freed you from the power of sin. God gave His Son as a sacrifice for our sin." Excuse me. Now the just requirement of the law is fully satisfied. And so we no longer follow our sin nature, we follow the Spirit. There's no condemnation for us. We've received Him as Lord and Savior. Jesus went to the cross on purpose to die for our sin. That's why He came, that's why He he went to the cross. He took our sin, He died for us. And so we're saved. And and then he, He gave His Son as a sacrifice for that. He paid the price. He gave everything up for us to do that. And now there's the the just requirement of the law, that whole big law and all that stuff that was going on and stuff, that's all fulfilled now because Jesus died and rose. And so we, we no longer follow this sin nature, we follow the Spirit. And we let the Spirit control us because we, you know, and if we think of the things that please the Spirit, that leads to life and peace. If we pay attention to the things of the Spirit, that's going to give us life and peace. If I focus on situations that are going to take me away from Him, I don't have life and peace. And I start falling down and I start uh, having problems and troubles because I'm focusing on the stuff that's going on around me instead of paying attention to God. And when I get into that kind of a situation, situations that come against me, those are the things I concentrate on. Oh man, but you don't know what I'm going through. Yeah, but God does. And there's no better place to go than Him. He's where the strength is because He gave His Son for your sin. And He loves you so much that He wants to make sure you're okay. And He's going to do that. Even in the most adverse situations, He hasn't gone anywhere. He's still there. His son still died. Even if my own son dies, he still has died for me, for my sin. I have to keep this perspective so that way that I can gain some peace in life here. And I can hold to that. Under the control of sin, we can never please God. Verse 9 says that the Spirit lives in us. And then verse 10 says that Christ lives in us. The Spirit gives us life because we have been made right with God. Remember then that Abraham's faith, it was attributed to him for righteousness. And God called him righteous because of his faith. Receiving Christ as Lord and receiving what his son has done, what God has given, that then makes me righteous. And it's God's righteousness, it's not mine. So then, it says we're no one, and this is verse 12, but it's just from the New Living Translation, which I really like this. It says, we are under no obligation to do what our sinful nature urges us to do. What an awesome statement. We are no, under no obligation to do what our sinful nature urges us to do. When you get the un, it urges to do that, you're not under obligation to fulfill them. Oh, man, we can find all kinds of ways and all kinds of stuff, but um, no. We, we are under no obligation to fulfill that. We are children of God, heirs with Christ of God's glory. 
But, verse 17, he tells us, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And this is where it gets a little bit uh, dicey for us. And it can be a little difficult. You know, when we're talking about John chapter 6, and Pastor Zeke has been covering this, and he just covered the whole thing about the feeding the 4,000 and how they were Gentiles and that sort of thing in, in Matthew. And it's just, it's just such a wonderful thing. And he talked about uh, Christ's compassion as he had compassion on these and he fed them and such the same that he did with the 5,000. In John chapter 6, when he's telling them to do the work, the work of God is to believe in the one whom he sent. Those are the guys that that's those people he was talking to was the 5,000 that he had fed. They had gotten in the boat. He walked on water and all that stuff and they jammed across and he walked over to them and they were going, oh, ghost. And so they got and got in and they got over there and all that stuff. And, and it was, you know, he, the, he went to Capernaum and stuff. And then the people came over there and stuff and they're like, boy, man, that was so cool. You know, you're going to do some other stuff and st- everything. And he's like going... You guys are just here because I fed you. He goes, you need to get bread from God, you know. And they're like going, tell us what's the work of God. The work of God is to believe in the one that he sent. And so they go, well, perform a miracle for us and we'll believe. It's like, he's like, Now we begin to understand a little bit because they walked. He went round and round and round with them and taught and begged and pleaded and everything else and did miracles and they walked. They didn't believe. They rejected him outright. Now we begin to understand a little bit. Whenever we're in, he says that we're going to share in his suffering. What happens when in a marriage? A man and a woman that's been married a long time, they begin to finish each other's sentences. They think along the same lines. The two become one flesh. And if you've been married a long time, you know, and, and, and Lori knows how to comfort me outright. If I got something going on or I'm getting goofy or weird or something, she knows how to settle me down and she knows what to do to, you know, I can't do that with her, but she, she can do it for me. But uh, <laughs> I can say that because she just walked in, but... Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say that if she wasn't here, but anyways, no, she knows how to take care of me in that way because we think along the same lines. And so whenever you open yourself up to to um, to another, especially when it comes to suffering and difficulties in your life, you make yourself vulnerable. God has opened himself up to us and he's made it so that we begin to understand a little bit and he's giving us a crack into what it must feel like to be him. He sees millions of people go to hell all the time. And if we can begin to understand this and really begin to see how he feels and how horrible it is. When Jesus was begging these guys... Please don't do this. And they did. They walked. 
after miracle after miracle. And it's heartbreaking continuously. He wept over Jerusalem as he started to go into that city because they missed the time of their visitation. They shined him on. They were screaming out, Hosanna, Hosanna. They didn't even believe it. And he knew it. And it continues on and on and on. When those little children died, they were with him. He had them. He took them. He was caring for them. He was worried about the hearts of the parents. He sent his son. That that child that Herod was trying to take out was going to be the salvation for those people. That was where they were going to be saved. He was going to take it back. He was paying the price. Satan was trying his best to stop it. And he's like, no, that ain't going to happen. And I'm going to make sure this is going to go down. And I'm going to make sure that, that this happens so that my people can get saved because he loves us so much. He makes sure that we were going to be with him. And everybody has the same opportunity to come to know him. And his heart is broken continually as people just keep dropping off and dropping off. And we have the same. We know. We have loved ones that walk. We have loved ones that are doing stupid stuff. They're out there. And we keep praying and we keep praying and going, God, where are you? And he's going, I'm right here crying with you because I want them saved too. And they won't. They didn't listen then. They don't listen now. I don't know what more I can do. I gave my son... And he died on the cross for their sin. And they won't receive that. I don't know what I can do more. And he just keeps in that one same spot. Pleading. And we then share in his suffering. Because we know. Because we've received him as Lord. And we are heirs. And we are children. And we share that too. And so that's where love and compassion come from. The compassion that Pastor Zeke talked about that Jesus had for those that that just kept coming. He gives us that. How many times have you gone somewhere and did something and you, I don't want to do this. I'm tired, you know. But no, we do it anyways. Because, you know, you just love people. And you just want them to be okay. So, As he goes through verses 18 through 30, suffering is nothing then compared to the glory that's coming. Even all creation is waiting for this, this glorious time, and they're waiting with birth pangs. Even even with the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, we groan in this time as adopted children. And so we then, you know, are free from sin and such and the holy spirit is praying one day we're going to be free from sin and suffering and the holy spirit is praying for you continuously he pray pleads in harmony with god's own will god knows him he knows you and there he's praying all the time and jesus sits at the right hand of the father all the time interceding for you so Verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to to those who love God, to those, um, 
And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Man, if I hear that one more time, I'm going to slap the preacher in the face. I'm sick and tired of hearing it. You know, this is ridiculous. You know, all things work together for good. Oh, yeah, just keep smiling. It's all going to be okay. But just try to get a little glimmer into that door a little bit. And begin to understand just what he sees. And then he's, gonna, he's saying, no, 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 it's okay. We're going to make this good. The wise men came and horror came because they came. Because this guy was so jealous and nuts that he killed all these children. Is it their fault? No, of course not. But I'm sure that when they heard about it, they're like, oh, no, man. You know, why would we do that? It was like, come on. You know, really? You did that? That's crazy. But see, we, we, get, to, we get to see, we, you know, we all know that all things are going to work together for good because we love God and those who are called according to His purpose. He's called us and everything is going to work towards the good in some manner. Oh, yeah, well, you know, if I'm like, you know, half my face got blown off, so how is that going to help anybody, you know? Well, there's some other guy that, and half of his face got blown off too, and so who knows what kind of encouragement you can give in some manner, in some way. Who knows? Because God loves everyone, and he wants everything to even out. He wants people to know him. God chose us to become like His Son. He called us and He gave us right standing with Himself and He gave us His glory. Man. And so it's when you, when you look at something like that and saying, yeah, but He's not paying attention. He went somewhere else. He's not listening. Saying, no, 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 no. Look at what's going on here and where He's at and where you are at and how much He loves you. Pay attention to that and understand because all things are going to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. He promises that. So now we get down to verse 31 here. And he says, What then shall we say to these things? And check this out. Just just let this sink in. Just let this word sink in. Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, uh, how shall he not be with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are all killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep 
uh, for the slaughter. Yet in all of these we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what can we say? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He gave His Son for us. And so... There's nothing that's going to happen that's going to take us away from that. Who can condemn us and who can uh, accuse us? He has chosen us as His own. Jesus died and rose for us. And He's righteous and He sits at the right hand of the Father right now. And He intercedes for us continuously. The thing that's interesting about this is that, that a lot of times when I, when I read Scripture like this, I'm thinking, okay, okay, so, so whatever's going on in my life, it's not going to take me away from God, you know, and stuff. But I can let it do that. And that's the problem. If a situation comes up and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, you know, where's God at? And I get angry. And then I walk. And I bury my head somewhere. And he's like going, even when you're faithless, I'm faithful and so it's not that things are going to take me away from him it's when i shut the door and i get angry or whatever and i start to question him and what's going on and he's like going i'm right there with you and i know what you're feeling and i'm hurting too but why did you give my kid cancer then what's up with that doesn't deserve that Why would you do that? I need you to be strong at this time. I need you to love and to care. And yeah, if I take her home, you know, that could happen. But still, I need you to stand strong and stand with me. Because there might be 25 other people that's watching this. And who knows? whatever it is that he's going to do here to try to bring something home so that somebody can get saved somewhere. I had a friend one time who had a, an interview and he went in to this interview and he went in and he sat down and, and uh, he was just in this room with these people and he brought his Bible so he pulls his Bible out and he just starts reading it. The guy's sitting next to him all dressed up in a suit and stuff. Kind of looks what he's doing lady across the way kind of looks at him then they come out and say job's filled everybody can go and so they all split he's like going lord what was that you know he drove i don't know how many hours to get to this place and the whole thing you know and stuff and he's just going wow something happened there well them got something happened god did something there something you know but he didn't know what it is maybe he'll find out someday but just weird that's how god does stuff but we don't know everything. But we share in his, you know, in the tragedy, in his suffering, we share in that. And because we share in that, then, you know, there's some men that have a real problem if their wife gets sick. And uh, I knew a guy, and, you know, he got angry. His wife uh, wound up in the hospital, and he didn't want to go see her and stuff. He got mad, you know, because she got sick. And it's like, 
you know, thinking, well, what a freak. But what it was was he was just shutting off the fact that she was sick and not recognizing it. He didn't want to acknowledge that and that sort of thing. Sometimes, as you know, we have to step up. We have to recognize that things happen and people get sick and we've got to trust and understand and try to grow in that and not allow ourselves to get bowled over by the situation. We have to stay strong in our faith and in our belief to hang and keep focused on God. That is what's important because that's where life and peace is. Otherwise, we lose and we don't get the, you know, what all it is that God has for us. So who condemns us and who accuses us? He's chosen us as his own. Jesus died and rose for us. He right now sits at the place of honor with God and pleads for us. So can anything separate us from His love? Trouble or calamity or persecution or hunger or being destitute or in danger or the threats of death, which is really the Apostle Paul's life. If you look at that, all of this stuff happened to this guy all the time. And he's like going, you want to hear my stories, you know? Read about them. I'll write them in a letter for you. I'll send you a letter. Despite these things, um, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. And so, you know, it's there for us because Jesus has already died and rose. So when we look at verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus was born. Simeon got to pray. Anna got to witness. The Magi came. Jesus died and rose. And there is nothing that can change that. Nothing. And so now the ball is in our court. If you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, then you are His. And yeah, you're going to share in His suffering. He, he says that straight up. That's not you know, something that you're going to be able to skate out of. But to be suffering without Him is just, there's no way that we can even fathom such a thing. So, what we want now is to just really begin to focus on Him, strengthen our faith, and even in the most adverse and difficult situations that we may be going through, no matter what it is, um, He has still died and rose. He still gave His Son. Our sin is still forgiven. None of that has changed. And my attitudes, He doesn't even change that with my lousy attitudes. But what he does is he changes me around so that I begin to understand and I can begin to see and have compassion and understanding and know then that the things of, you know, that he has not changed, he hasn't gone anywhere, and he still loves me no matter what. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we just um, are in awe of you. Lord, we... We can't even fathom the love that you have. And thank you, Father, that you would open yourself up so that we would gain some understanding, Father, of the suffering 
we, we, it, it's a tiny, tiny crumb. We, we can't even begin to even cope. Your thoughts and ways are far above us. But Lord, you have given us a chance to understand and to love and to uh, just gain, Father, in some way to, to uh, see, Lord, for just a second through your eyes as to where this world is at and how horrible things can be. Father, we just want to uh, thank you that you've given so much. And Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, we pray that you'll move and bring them to that place to, to receive you as Lord, to walk with you. And if there's those here that are hurting, Father, and they don't understand and they don't want to know where you're at, Father, reveal yourself to them in a mighty way. Strengthen them, Father. Show them how much you love them and that, that you haven't gone anywhere and that um, as we are sharing your suffering, that means then that you suffer with us also, always. We honor and glorify you and we worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.